Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Friends, we're approaching the two-year anniversary of the Rural Woman Podcast, and I want to celebrate by hosting a giveaway. You can win a Rural Woman prize pack with podcast gear and some other great goodies. To enter, all you have to do is take a screenshot of the episode that you're listening to right now and share it on your social media. Be sure to tag me at Wildrose Farmer and use the hashtag the Rural Woman Podcast. That's it. It's that easy. Contest is open from now until March 22nd, 2021. For more details, including what's included in the prize pack, head to today's show notes. Happy listening and good luck to you. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. We are wrapping up our Canadian Egg Day series with a rancher, mother, and wife from Nakoma, Saskatchewan. Crystal Nordic and her husband Troy raise commercial Targi ewes and an Angus-based cow herd. On today's show, Crystal shares with us why they chose to focus their energy on raising sheep in what is known as predominantly cattle country. We also discuss how the opportunity to start working with the Canadian Wildlife Services has allowed them to continue to grow their operation while keeping their grazing costs low by utilizing their sheep to graze sensitive areas on the north end of Last Mountain Lake. I am very excited for you guys to get to meet Crystal and hear her story. They are doing some very cool things over there in Saskatchewan. I'm going to share with you guys a couple more of the great items that are available in the second anniversary giveaway that's happening now for the Rural Woman podcast. First up is a personal 30-minute virtual farm tour from Charlotte Wasilik, who is at Chatworth Farm. She was back on episode 87, where she chatted all about how she's turned her idea from the Cincinnati Zoo of doing their virtual zoo tours and adapted that to their farm. So you get your own personal tour of Chatsworth Farm. You can find Charlotte on Instagram at Chatsworth underscore farm. Next up is a gift from our friend Sarah Beth Johnson, who was back on episode 58, where we chatted all about her farm and we had this serious discussion of whether you are a goat person or a sheep person. And Sarah Beth and I are goat people. But you guys, I have to be honest with you. I had the opportunity to go out and meet a friend of mine that I made through Instagram who actually lives only about 45 minutes away from me, which is crazy. Kara at Prairie Smoke Ranch invited me out to see all of her brand new lambs that they had just a couple weeks ago. And you guys, it was a barn full of cuteness. And I may have been swayed for a few moments to be a sheep person, but I bet I promise I'm back. I promise I'm back. (laughs) Anyway, Sarah Beth has donated a couple stickers from her shop, which are absolutely adorable. You'll get her logo sticker as well as this really cute cow sticker. His name is Bocephus and I'm obsessed with him. So (laughs) thank you, Sarah, for donating those. You can find Sarah over on Instagram at Flying Pig Cattle Co., 
And be sure you guys, when you're taking your screenshot and sharing, tag these awesome ladies too and thank them for their generosity for the two-year anniversary giveaway. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Crystal. Good morning, Crystal. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am doing very well on this fine Monday morning of recording the Rural Woman podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I am so excited that you're here and that you're going to be sharing your story with me and the listeners and to get to know you a bit better. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Crystal, give us your background of who you are, where you're from, and how on earth you got your start in agriculture. Okay, well, it's kind of a long story, so I might have to cut out some parts, but I was actually raised in BC, Canada, obviously, and kind of close to Prince George, and I grew up on a cattle ranch there, and I was always interested in agriculture and did kind of 4-H all the way through and showed some cattle in high school, worked for our neighbor ranch and, and did some of that kind of thing for him. And so I definitely wanted to go to agriculture college when I was done with with high school. I didn't really fit in in Prince George, and I wanted to move to the prairies. So I went to school, to college in Vermilion in Alberta, and took a livestock production course there and loved it and really felt like I finally found my people, and it was really great and actually ended up finding my husband there as well, Troy. And so that was in, I guess, 2002, and we got married in 2005. We actually moved back out to Prince George and ran my grandpa's range. We actually rented his rangeland from him and custom grazed cattle out there kind of the summer we were married and a couple summers after. And then we decided we wanted to buy a farm because we were just renting. And so we decided that we couldn't afford a farm in Prince George <laughs> in BC. And we decided to move back out east. His family is all in Saskatchewan. And that's where he's from. Is around Inglefeld. And so we decided to look for something kind of within an hour or two of Inglefeld Farm that we could buy because at the time the land values were quite reasonable in Saskatchewan. So I think in 2006, fall 2006, we purchased our first farm at Ituna, Saskatchewan. And we moved out there and it was just a quarter of land with like a barn and a house and a shop. And it was just green land. We didn't have any animals. And we kind of didn't have any animals for a while there. Troy worked for a farmer and I started working for Cargill and working in the grain industry, which was kind of cool. Got to know a little bit about the grain industry that way. And then we kind of decided that we were still a bit too far from his family and from any opportunities that we were looking for long, long term. And so we moved to Anaheim, which was about 15 minutes from his family. And we just bought an acreage there. And then a couple of years into that, we bought a quarter section and about 50 cows. And at that time, Troy was working for One Earth Farm and setting up a really large cattle operation about an hour from us. And I was working for Master Feeds as a territory manager in their kind of northwest Saskatchewan or northeast Saskatchewan. And then I got pregnant with our first child and decided I needed to come off the road and I wanted to stay home and raise her. And during that time, we decided that it would be best for Troy to kind of have our own gig going. So we decided to, throughout all this time, he had been driving truck on and off as well. And so we decided to buy a semi-truck of our own and start our own trucking company. And that was in 2011. And we kind of sold our cows right around that time too, because it just was too much. <laughs> Didn't It wasn't really working out. Troy was gone a lot and I was pregnant. So 
after the, the, our first child was born, I did not go back to work. That was kind of always our plan. Addie was born in June of 2011. And then we started our trucking company and we worked and did that for a number of years. But we were always looking for a place that we could kind of buy more land and that had a lot of grass that we could rent and that kind of thing. Because we were starting a farm from scratch. We didn't have any like farm or ranch to take over from anyone in our family. And so we were having to start right from ground zero. So we sort of had a few false starts because of that, because it's just so difficult to get going. So we looked for a different farm, something bigger with more land and that was more suitable for us in the acreage at Anaheim for about three years. And we finally found something in 2015 down here at Nokomis. Sorry, 2014 is when we moved the fall. And so we moved to Nokomis and we bought an acreage here as well as the home quarter. So same thing. It was a grain quarter. The land is set up for grain and there was no fences, no nothing. And there was no water. We have to haul water for the house. And there was no stock water or anything like that. But we knew this was the area we wanted to be in. And this particular farm had a, a decent enough house on it. So we were happy about that. Didn't have to do a lot of work to it. And we decided to kind of set up shop here. So that's kind of the beginning of where we actually felt like we got a start on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have had a long journey since 2005. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it has been. It's not not an easy journey to get going in this industry for, if you don't have a lot of equity, right? So Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, and like you said, like no equity and no farm or ranch to take over from the next, from the previous generation. It's, it's very hard. And I think that's why it's so important to share stories like yours to the listeners, because I know there's lots of people out there that are maybe listening and don't have a farm or ranch or homestead. And they're thinking it's impossible, but sharing these stories is showing people that it is possible. Exactly. And that's really the point is that it is possible. And we had always been trying to make it work with cattle and the numbers were just too difficult to pay for land and cattle at the same time and make any sort of profit at the time. And so what we ended up doing is we started to do numbers on sheep. Troy had grown up on a sheep ranch. His family had sheep all along and my family, we had sheep in 4-H and stuff, just a few, you know, kind of pets. But we both knew about sheep and we both knew sort of how, how to deal with them. And so we started doing numbers on them and they seemed like a much easier industry to kind of get into because your overhead was not near as high as with cow. And so, you know, you could buy a ewe for maybe $200 and you certainly can't buy a cow for that, right? (laughs) No, absolutely not. (laughs) So that's kind of what got us interested in, in getting into the sheep was that the return for, you know, on your investment seemed a lot better than on cattle and the margin was a lot better than on cattle. And so that's kind of what we decided when we moved to Nokomis is that we would set it up as a sheep ranch and try and take advantage of some of this close by grass and grazing and definitely run like a grass-based sheep flock and um, see how that went. So we started that, like I say, we moved to this property in 2014 in November And I think we kind of just dropped the the U-Haul trailer and started pounding posts immediately. So we would have a corral (laughs) and we built a corral over the winter. And then in February, we bought our first 60 head of sheep. That is a very quick turnaround. (laughs) 
Yes. So two months, two, three months we were like, and we knew we couldn't buy a lot of animals because we knew we had to haul water, right? And we felt like also sheep, we could haul water for sheep a lot easier than cattle. Cows drink a lot of water. So sheep are a little bit easier and sheep do like to snow graze in the winter. They actually prefer snow to water. So that seemed like something we could do with, you know, our quarter of land. We could let them graze snow, uh, provided we got snow. (laughs) So we, yeah, so we bought those sheep and we were very excited to get going with that. The other reason for the sheep was just that Troy was gone quite a bit and we knew he would be while we were building this and we had small kids and by this time we had another child and so it seemed like sheep were a lot safer for me to kind of handle by myself with the little kids and they just seemed like the right way to go. So we bought our 60 and then we decided that we really wanted to focus on some of these range breeds. So a lot of ranches in like northern Montana have Targi, Merino, Rambouillet type sheep and those are really conducive to a real grass-based system. And they also have really highly sought after wool that's a really fine micron and worth a lot more than, you know, a lot of the other domestic sheep in Canada. So we kind of decided that those were the sheep we were going to go after. And those, of course, don't hardly exist. They're very difficult to find. (laughs) So we kind of looked for a while for them. But by the fall of 2015, we were able to buy 75 Targis. And so that's what we did. We bought these Targis, we brought them home, and we lambed them out, and we really liked them. They were a bit wild, like they're range sheep. They're not used to being in a corral. So lambing them was pretty interesting. But once they were in our system for a while, they they calmed down. (laughs) And then once we had lambed them, we we decided that that was the way we wanted to continue. And this lady that we had bought them from, she was actually selling more the following year in 2016. So we bought another 100 head from her the following year. And then we kind of started to, you know, then we had enough animals that it really made sense to buy a little bit of equipment, but not much. So we bought a skid steer and we figured we could run the whole place with that. That was probably one of the best things we ever bought. (laughs) Well, those pieces of equipment, when you're thinking of it from a first generation farmer standpoint, are so expensive. And having to decide which piece of equipment you're going to sink your funds into is so important. So I'm glad that you found that a skid steer was what worked best for you. Yeah, at the time, it felt like a huge decision and, uh, you know, a, a huge kind of win to be able to move into the fact that you actually had something to run the farm with instead of just, (laughs) you know, hand bombing everything. Yeah, exactly. Well, and especially if you're there by yourself with the kids and having that extra piece of equipment, I'm sure is very helpful for everyone on that operation. (laughs) Yeah, it made a really big difference. It really did. So I've had quite a few people that I've interviewed recently that have sheep. And I've found that people, once they find their breed of sheep, like that is their breed. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. So (laughs) this is your soapbox moment, Crystal. (laughs) Tell us why the Targi breed is the best breed of sheep, hands down. (laughs) Well, you know, I wasn't sold on the Targis initially. I was like, no, I, you know, I had suffixes growing up. I wanted those. And Troy was like, no, we're not getting those. We wanted something that would be easy keeping and a suffix is not and wouldn't, wouldn't perform like we wanted them to on a grass-based system. So once I saw these Targis and how they, you know, they're just so tough. That's the main, I think, reason that I like them so much is you can go out and it's minus 30 
and they are out on a quarter of grass with no shelter, grazing as if it's summertime. And I just think that is incredible that there are animals that will do that. <laughs> and so, yeah, their toughness to me is just probably their, their number one. And they're, they're great mothers. They act a lot like deer as far as when they're lambing, especially if you're lambing on grass. If you come up to them when they've just lambed, then they're, they're going to just run away and leave their lambs kind of stashed in the grass like a deer would and come back to them. So that takes some getting used to. And now we know that kind of when they're lambing, you can look at them from afar, but really try not to intervene for, for a little, little while until they've really mothered up. And yeah, so they're great mothers and their wool quality is just so terrific. We've got a lot of private people that we deal with now that um, we sell our wool to. We shipped it to custom woolen mills in Alberta last year and they were really, really happy with the quality of it. And I think the wool, it's hard to source really good fine wool in Canada because there aren't a lot of sheep that are fine wooled. And so that's kind of a little bit of a niche that we're able to work with. And we really do enjoy that part of it as well. So, Well, there you go. You've sold me. The Targis, they've worked for us. (laughs) You sold me. (laughs) Now I can have one of each, uh, basically, of everybody who's told me why their sheep is the best. I'm like, yeah, it is the best. I should have one. So... (laughs) I think the crazy thing is, is each breed of sheep, you know, is so different and requires such a different management style that it really just depends on what your management style is and what you're set up for. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so the Targis for us are what we're set up for and they work great. You can help support the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman podcast on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's a membership-based platform that helps fund and support creators like me to create and produce content like this that you all love. New to the Rural Woman Podcast Patreon is ad-free listening and patron-only bonus content and exclusive episodes. Learn more and join the patron gang today at patreon.com slash the Rural Woman Podcast. So, Crystal, walk us through what a typical year looks like for you. I know 2020 was not the typical year for anyone. So if you want to throw in some non-typical things that happened to you and your farm in 2020, feel free to do that as well. (laughs) Sure. Well, I mean, for us, since we've been in like pretty aggressive growth mode all the way along, I don't know what a typical year is because we just keep buying animals and expanding. And so every year is drastically different than the year previous at this point. (laughs) However, there are some sort of key things that happen throughout the year that obviously, you know, lambing and shearing and that kind of thing. So we have our rams turned out this year for May 1st lambing. So we will be lambing on grass and we try to do that. We don't, we aren't really set up with a good barn where we are. So We don't feel comfortable lambing in winter. We have done it, but it's been really challenging. So we prefer to lamb on grass. And we like to shear the ewes before they're lambing. So we usually shear in March. And we are very lucky to have Cliff Netherall, who is a world-class shearer, live right here in the Comus. So he comes and does our shearing for us. And that's great for us. It usually takes two or three days and it's just our family and Cliff usually that do it. And our kids run the kind of the pens and keep the shoots full and we pack all the wool in 
into kind of seven foot tall wool bags and we pack them with a hydraulic press and those bags end up weighing about 250 pounds. And then we stack them up until we're ready to kind of haul them to any of our people that would like to buy sort of this fine wool. So those get stacked in our shop and uh, then we get ready for lambing. So we basically, you know, take care of any fencing. We set up lambing jugs for them to mother. So kind of like a four by four pen, a whole bunch of them, you know, 20 pens or so. And then, because of course now we're lambing, you know, 300 plus ewes. So we keep adding jugs every year (laughs) and more, more facilities as we go, of course. And then we, yeah, we start with lambing and we, this year we are going to do a more hands-on lambing. We found that our predator losses last year were pretty high. We, I should mention that we have a lot of guardian dogs, six guardian dogs right now. And that's what we run with the sheep in the summer. And I think it's just too hard to keep the coyotes from eating all of the young ones when, when they're born on grass. So we're going to do a much more kind of controlled lambing this year. It will be on grass, but we will still be penning them at night and that kind of thing to try and um, mitigate our predator issues. So once lambing is done, then we don't actually dock or do any of that processing of lambs when they're born. We wait until everything is been born and then we process on one day. So we run everything through, we dock them, we vaccinate, we do what we need to do. And then usually within a week or two of that, we move the ewes and lambs to a different pasture, like to grass. So last few years, the, the ewes have ended up being at the lake, kind of down at the lake pasture in about June. And so then during the summer, it's really pretty simple. We just go down every kind of every day and check on things, make sure everybody's in the fence, that the electric fencer is working. Got to have lots of power for those sheep to stay in the fence. And yeah, we just kind of check on things, feed the dogs and enjoy the fact of where we, where we get to ranch in the summer. Summer is great. And then starting last year, actually, we started making our own feed. So we've been baling a lot of pea straw in the fall. So when we get to about September, kind of when harvest starts, then we start baling pea straw like it's going out of style. We bailed, I think, about 650 bales last year. So and we'll probably stick around that this year. The sheep continue to graze until usually October, November is when we wean. It depends a little bit on the markets and how heavy our lambs are. So if markets are good in the fall and we like the price of lamb, we may early wean those lambs. They may be ready to go at four months of age. Or sometimes we coast them and let them kind of coast along until maybe they're six or eight months of age. And we can just sell them into a little bit higher market that way. But either way, we try and wean them kind of in October so that the ewes aren't drugged down for winter. When we do wean the lambs, then we bring the lambs home to the yard. We put them in pens here and we put them on self-fed malt sprout pellets. And that's kind of what we grow our lambs out on. And that's what we have done for the last few years now. And then the ewes continue to graze until basically until the snow is too deep for them to graze anymore. And in last year, they grazed until about March. This year, the snow got pretty deep, so we brought them home first week of January. And so everybody is home in the yard now. And now we're just kind of going to be working at it and getting ready for the next big thing with the sheep. We'll run a few through to vaccinate and stuff before lambing. And we'll also get ready for shearing again in March. So that's kind of the cycle of the sheep year. (laughs) (laughs) 
And the cycle continues, yeah. <laughs> As is with most farming and ranching operations, right? Which you said, like if you're growing and doing different things, then you're adding things on, but the base is still the same of doing these things every single year. So that's great. Yes, yeah, it's very cyclical. So, with the targi breed, what's the typical weight of the lambs when they're ready to go? Uh, we try and sell our lambs at about 85 pounds, 85 to 90 pounds is kind of our target weight. Unless we've decided to sort of keep them uh, to go into a higher market. We we have kept some. We actually still have about 120 this year on feed. Those ones we're hoping probably to be a little bit heavier because we'll have kept them longer. But you really don't want to sell anything much above 100 pounds unless you're planning to finish it or they start to dock you for overweight. So, right. Okay. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the feedlot needs some room too, so. Yes, exactly, right? Well, and especially the year that 2020 was and with processing and all of the things, I'm sure most processors have kind of even keeled now. But back in 2020, it was like, how long are we going to have to keep these animals because we can't continue to move them through the chain? Right. And of course, in Western Canada, we don't have a lot of options for processing. There's one. So if if they go down, it's a problem. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to talk about your partnership that you have with Canadian Wildlife Services. Tell the listeners what this partnership is and what you guys are doing together. Yeah, so this is something we're really excited about. I think around 2017, we it was very dry. We were looking for more grass, and we had a friend who's a biologist down at the bird sanctuary on the north end of Last Mountain Lake and worked for Canadian Wildlife Services, and he mentioned that they have a lot of cattle patrons who graze down there, but that they were kind of looking to start multi-species grazing, and they would really like some small ruminants. And so... We were pretty pumped about that, and so we contacted them and had a meeting, and they were just really happy to have the sheep down there. So we started grazing in 2017, and when we first started, they had sort of little riparian areas or shorelines that they didn't really want the cattle mucking up, but that we used the sheep to control, generally like sow thistle and some of the other kind of weeds that they were trying to get rid of. They usually do like a burn or various ways of taking care of these weeds, but they were really happy to be able to use the sheep instead. And the sheep do a really good job of that. And of course, the sheep graze differently than cow, which helps the grass. So that's been something that we've really enjoyed and been really mutually beneficial for both of us. And we've just continued to work with them. And every year, we've now been putting in more permanent fence. And we, I think, now have about 1,300 acres down there that's under permanent fence for our sheep to rotate through in the summer. That's amazing. Yeah. What have been some of the benefits that have been on your end? And what are, most importantly, the benefits that the Canadian Wildlife Services have found from having these sheep in these areas? Of course, for us, just the ability to kind of have no end to the grass that we can use. And so no limit to basically how much we can expand is really, really great. That's probably been the biggest benefit for us is that we can, the sky's the limit on how many sheep we put down there. They would love it, I'm sure, if we had thousands of them. (laughs) So for us, it's really great to be able to just continue to expand our flock and know our summer grazing is taken care of. And it's at a reasonable rate 
and we know the ropes down there and everybody, it works really well. As far as on their end, I think they would say that they really just like the different species of grasses that the sheep utilize and how the sheep graze. And so they, you know, they graze the buckbrush and some of these different, they do a lot more browsing than a cow will. And so you can see the improvement in the grass and the plant populations from where we've grazed over the last few years. And you can see where the fence lines have been and you can see on one side that wasn't grazed, there are still weeds and on the other side that the weeds are gone and it's just really good native grass now. And so from their standpoint, that's been a huge win. Are they grazing any other animals down there besides the sheep and the cows? Just just sheep and cows, yeah. It's so interesting to me, and this is something that I've been learning about since I have gotten into this industry, is the multi-species grazing. It's funny because I obviously like them because you get multi-species and you get all of the animals, but the benefits to the grassland of them eating the weeds that are noxious to the area and all of the things like it's just so interesting to see the improvements that these animals are bringing to these native grass prairie lands yeah we found it to be super rewarding work and we we just love it like that's definitely our jam is grass management and you know bringing back these grasslands and making them healthy that they need to be grazed in order to be healthy and we get to be part of that so it's very exciting yes absolutely and it brings another point to my mind that maybe is a bit controversial. I don't know. You can tell me. <laughs> but <laughs> when people from outside of agriculture are more or less bashing animal agriculture and the negative impacts of it on the environment, let's say, when we hear stories like this and when we see projects like this and it's bringing back life to these native grasslands, I think these are important things to be sharing and important programs for people to look into to better, I hate to use the word educate because I am not a teacher, but just to inform the general public of what farmers and ranchers are actually doing to promote the healthy environment. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think most farmers and ranchers at their core are conservationists. And I think that's what a lot of the general public doesn't realize. And the other thing they don't realize is just how important, if we want to keep these vast tracts of land the way they are um, and wild and, you know, untamed, then they need to still be taken care of or, you know, they get taken over by weeds and choke out and die. So the grazing is just such a huge part of that to keep everybody healthy and it's just such a, a great thing and I think it's really important in animal agriculture especially to recognize that not painted with the same brush and that it's it's more a matter of how the animal was raised not that there was an animal I think those that's very important to consider yes absolutely so what are your plans and your goals for the future and your ranch well, now we feel like we finally have a start. So now we are just really wanting to kind of grab with both hands. We're pretty excited about the farm now. We've added some cows back into the mix as well of our own. We bought another, we bought about 50 head in the fall here. And so we're pretty excited about expanding that part and continuing to expand the sheep. We've had this trucking company going for the last several years now and Troy's been on the road a lot. And so our main goal is that this spring that he will come and be working on the farm full-time. 
we will still run the trekking company, but we have lease operators working for us. So we'd like him to be hands-on, more hands-on on the farm so that we can continue to expand it because at this level, we, we need more than just me and the kids running it. <laughs> I don't know. Those kids sound like they're pretty handy sometimes. <laughs> they, they are. They are. Yes. And in a couple of years, they can probably handle it and I won't even have to bother. But for now, yeah. <laughs> that's the dream, isn't it? Like, that's why you have it kids. Is. So <laughs> they can go do the picking rocks and things. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> We've all done our time. <laughs> yes, exactly. Crystal, it has been so lovely chatting with you this morning and getting to know you better. My last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part of being a rancher for you? Uh, well, for me, I always wanted to be a rancher. And Troy and I desperately wanted to raise our kids on a ranch with that ranch lifestyle, the ranch values, and, you know, just just be spending most of our time really connected with nature and outside with animals. And at the time when we had kids, we didn't have a ranch. So we're just so grateful that we've been able to build one in time for the kids to enjoy it and in time to raise them the way we wanted to raise them. So for us, the way we're raising our kids and the way we're improving grass, those are probably our two main things that we're most excited about and that we like the best about this this life that we've chosen. Raising kids and raising grass. That's good things. Both yep. good things. <laughs> <laughs> For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, what is the best way to contact you? Probably like through Instagram or Facebook. I'm on both of those. I do post quite photos of the ranch and mostly sunsets <laughs> at the golden hour. So those are probably the best ways to, to contact me. And what are your handles that they can contact you? On Instagram, I'm Katie Nordic. And we do have a farm Facebook page, which, which is Rafter and Ranching, or just my name, Crystal Nordic, on my personal page. I have a lot of ranch things as well, pretty much all ranch things. <laughs> <laughs> I will link those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you after the show. Excellent. Thank you again so much for taking the time to share your story on the Roll Woman podcast this morning. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope you all enjoyed getting to know Crystal today here on the Real Woman podcast. Crystal was gracious enough to sit down with me and record an extended episode for the patrons of the Real Woman podcast at the $10 tier or higher. We discussed the best advice Crystal has for aspiring first-generation ranchers, as well as some hiccups that they had along the way. And also, she's sharing the best advice for getting involved with your local wildlife association for grazing purposes. So if you want to hear this extended portion of today's episode, you can head to today's show notes and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. The patrons at the $10 tier or higher have access to all of the extended episodes that have been released in 2021. As well, they are going to have their ears full of exclusive interviews that will not be heard by the general public for the Rural Woman podcast. To find out more, please head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Thank you again all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman podcast, and we'll see you back here real soon.
Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.